1: You know it's going to be a good episode when you can start out with a brand new iTunes 5-star review, Wendy.
2: Woohoo! That makes my whole week.
1: It does. It does. So you I just I feel like starting the episode with things like
2: that always even just good news puts me in a good mood. Me too. I think that's a fine idea. And so we'd like to thank Haunted Dude. <laughs> Another great name. Ha- thank you Haunted Dude. Info and entertainment
1: galore the dude says with five stars a, sh- a show full of laughs from hosts mike and wendy <laughs> along with an interview from an amazing and insightful expert on something weird would be as much as any listener could hope or ask for however this series also boasts original music and an extensive show notes section of their website that could stand alone as an awesome blog the amount of high caliber content these spooky paranormal and pop culture nerds put out makes the see you on the other side verse a can't-miss for even people with a casual interest in the unexplained.
2: Ooh. I like that they called us spooky paranormal and pop culture nerds. I did. Can we put that on our business cards? I think we will. I think that's going to be my new title. <laughs> when somebody that's asks, like, well, what do you do? It's like, I'm a spooky paranormal and pop culture <laughs>
1: nerd. Thank you very
2: much. Yes. But, so thank you, Haunted Dude, Yeah, Haunted review. Haunted Dude, you're the haunted best. And we always appreciate those reviews. If you like the show, please consider leaving one at iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use for your podcast listening.
1: That's right. And so we welcome the five-star reviews. We always read those on the air. And so we'd love to read your name on the air along with uh, some wonderful thing that you wrote about. Yes. Wendy, you ever read The Secret I did read The Secret. I read The Secret, too. And I'm not even part of the Oprah Book Club, if you can believe it. Even, <laughs> even though I feel like I've read half the books in the Oprah Book Club, I feel like I've read. Yeah. Well, they're good. Yeah, they usually pick up. It's, some are usually pretty good. But anyway, so I read The Secret. I remember reading it like 12 years ago. And it was big for a long time. Like everybody was talking about the idea of the fake it till you make it secret idea.
2: Yeah. And remember the DVD was going around, but it was like a secret, secret DVD <laughs> Yeah, like you couldn't just buy it anywhere normal. You had to get it from somebody or something. It's kind of a weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is still like this because this is before we were just. I mean, it wasn't before we were just downloading movies off the internet because we've been doing that forever. But as far as this is before, really right. regular. So you would tra- you you still use DVDs? Right. This is when they still had blockbusters in the world, uh, but it <laughs> makes me laugh when I think about that. Right, because it, like I think that was part of the marketing strategy. You know, was yeah, that you had definitely. to pass it around. It had to it had to go around. You couldn't just. You couldn't just, you know, like now you just watch it on Hulu or something. Right. But I was thinking about The Secret a lot uh, when we, we talked to today's guest, Marine St. Germain. Mm. And we talk about it a little bit in the interview. But um, if you guys haven't seen or read The Secret, uh, the idea is that the, the secret to getting what you want in the world is really having the attitude like you have it already. And, uh, you know, some people can take it too far and they say like, you know, if you, if you get sick, you know, it's just because you weren't thinking positive enough. Oh, that's not cool. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's not the point, but I do think that there is a good message in there if, if it is a little new agey and woo woo for me.
2: Yeah. Focusing on the positive and focusing on the things that you wish to achieve. Yeah. There can't be anything terrible about that. So, Marine Saint Germain's nickname
1: is Mrs. Magic, and that's because she—that's te- fun. Yeah, she teaches <laughs> classes, and it's not like magic, like you know, uh, bubble bubble toilet trouble kind of thing. <laughs> Even though it'd be cool if it was David Copperfield. No, and she's not making things disappear,
2: except oh, your okay. except
1: <laughs> your problems, man. Except your your boundaries, <laughs> your Dude. barriers, except what's holding you back. That's what disappears, man. Whoa. She teaches courses in how to talk to intuition in the higher self, she calls it, and uses the symbolism of magic, the acacia records, all that kind of new age stuff. And anyway, interesting lady. And so if you like things like The Secret, then I think you will definitely get something out of this interview. Or if you're just curious about it. I think you will get something. You know, and I never believed any of that kind of stuff. I really didn't until... I listened to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Meditation for Manifestation. Remember those? Oh, yes. And it is ridiculous, because it's like him going, oh. (laughs) But I started doing it just because I was like, well, it seems like smart people meditate, right? It seems like people who are successful meditate. They think about things. they, They put their mind on that path. And so I gave it a try. And really... And... The things I was meditating on or concentrating on, like, would show up. Like, I don't know if I would just notice them more or, but putting your mind on something and, you know, like saying you're like, like, I think there's this one tradition where it says you try to manifest a blue feather. What have you heard about the blue feather? No. Okay. Well, it's idea is like, you're, it's like, okay. It, <laughs> it, so it's just kind of to show you that if you put your mind yeah. on this blue feather, a blue feather it it's going to show up somewhere and you start to notice okay. things in your, in your personal life so I didn't start believing in any of that kind of stuff until I tried that manifestation business and I was just I started noticing the things that I would concentrate on and they would just show up and I don't know if that's magic or anything like that but I do think it's. but who cares it's part of it's, <laughs> if it works yes it's just part of putting your mind in that in that mindset where it's towards yep. something you believe in or you care about or some positivity kind of thing so it can't hurt oh, I love that stuff well, then you're going to love this conversation with Marine. Joining us today is an author and practical mystic, Marine Saint. Germain. How are you doing today, Marine?
3: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, we're, we're glad to talk to you. So where are you located today? Where, uh, where are you
3: <laughs> I am all over the map, but today I am in San Diego.: Okay, Yesterday I was in Paris.
1: Oh wow. OK, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm jealous. I'm here. I mean, I love I'm, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and I love Madison, Wisconsin. But
3: oh, you know, I lived there for like 15 years.
1: Oh my, God. okay. This in
3: the, Sun Prairie, yeah.
1: That's really interesting. Okay, and that's funny because as far as interviews we've had this month, now the first interview we had this month was the guy that uh, just wrote this movie called The Bye Bye Man. He wrote the book. It was the movie was based on. And that story took place. The original story that the movie is based on took place in Sun Prairie.
3: Oh, wow. We're we'll have to going to look at that. I right. didn't know about that one. Right.
1: The dream expert from Reddit, who we just had a discussion with last week, he lived in Madison for a few years in the 90s. And now you say you lived in Madison for 15 or, you know, Sun Prairie, which is yep. if you, for any of you guys out of town, Sun Prairie is just a little suburb on the east side of town. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, that's great. That's, it's just yeah. funny. A lot of uh, Madison connections, unbeknownst to me. Like, we set these interviews up and stuff. I talked to your publicist and everything. And I had no idea that you had lived in the Madison area. So that's awesome. Where are you from originally?
3: Uh, I grew up in a little town called North Ridgeville, Ohio. And um, um, <clears throat> my former husband and I moved to Madison after we had lived on the West Coast for a little while and in Montana for a little while. Okay. Okay. And um, so our kids went to school there, and yeah, pretty cool.
1: All right. That's okay. That's a, that's a fun coincidence. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so you know exactly what we're going through right now in the beginning of February.
3: Yes, I do. Right, so when you yeah, said I'm you're
1: like, of- oh, I'm in San Diego tonight, I'm like, oh, that sounds great.
3: <laughs> yeah, the sun is shining, and I actually sat outside today and ate my lunch. It wasn't as warm as I would have liked, but I didn't have to have a coat on.
1: Okay. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's not, I'll say. Okay, so North Ridgeville, Ohio, small town. Now, um, I love how when I'm talking to your publicist, one of the first things he says, like, you know, some people call Maureen Mrs. Magic, and I was like, well, that's pretty catchy. I like that right there. And so, yeah, uh,
3: that's another one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about how how did you get into this? Uh, how did Maureen from North Ridgeville, Ohio, eventually become Mrs. Magic.
3: I grew up in a large family. We all participated in the family business, which was a large 150 acre vegetable farm. And I have always had a connection to everything around me. And when I was a little kid, I didn't realize that everyone else didn't have that. It just, I thought everyone had that awareness, but I could feel um, around Two blocks, two city blocks around me physically, and I was also aware that my um, energy was was so big that other people would notice.
0: Okay, so um,
1: well, so when you go back, so, so, so I feel about two city blocks around you. So describe that a little bit. Like what what age, or you know, when did you start to feel more like more than your regular senses or the rest of us mortals the re- that our rest of our senses could handle? Like when did you start to feel that?
3: Well, <clears throat> growing up on a farm in a small community, the only time we ever went anywhere was to church on Sunday. So I didn't have much contact with other people to realize that I was that different. Um, <clears throat> initially, it showed up as a child. I would cry over every little thing because it, I, everything was so big to me. And when I got into high school, I can remember telling my mother, <clears throat> coming home, thinking about this all day long and coming home and saying, Mom, I'm going to try out for major." Up. And before I could get the words out of my mouth, she looked at me and she said, you know, I've been thinking, if you still want to take baton lessons, it'd be okay with me. And at that point, I had not yet taken a single baton lesson, but I had always been asking if I could. And so now she says yes. And tryouts are in six months or three months, whatever it was. It was very funny because she is also very psychic. I feel like some of what I have is like, you know, passed out from family to family. So
1: she detected that you were interested in being a majorette. Okay. So if you guys know what majorette is, obviously we're in the high school band, but
3: <laughs> that's all right.
1: I dated a couple of major. I believe my wife was a, a drum major. So a majorette is the person walking in front of the marching band, uh, like leading the marching band, you know, like almost conducting it as, as it were. So in case you guys didn't know what a majorette was, please go ahead.
3: So anyway, um, my, uh, the, the thing that made that unique was in that moment, I had not asked and I had not spoken about it, you know, for maybe a a year or two. Um, so for her to open her mouth and say that the day that I had made up my mind for sure, I'm going to tell her I'm going to do it. I'm going to use my own money, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't have to ask because she announced to me it would be okay. So I think she was plugged into me. And my mother tells us later that when our father was a prisoner of war, she got information you know intuitively on where he was
1: okay now hold we gotta we gotta dial back then for a second (laughs) you know like everybody has got an exciting story about their father but uh what what happened that your father was a a prisoner of war
3: well it's world war ii
1: okay and so was he in japan or germany like who got him
3: he was in germany he was a paramedic and he had um dropped back to uh, during an exit a retreat he was picking up someone who was injured and they were both captured.
0: Oh yeah.
1: man. And and okay, and I, I know this might be a difficult question, but did he make it to the end of the war like did they eventually did he eventually make it home?
3: Oh yes, okay. because they weren't even married at that point. Okay. So he came home and you know made it all in one piece but it was when he, when the war was over and his camp was liberated. Yeah, it was a very heavy duty story. Um
1: but your mom said, you know, later on that She felt like she could communicate with him, even though he was, you know, like 3,000 miles away in the
3: fatherland. Well, it wasn't like that. It was more like, where is he? When they found out he was a prisoner of war, then everybody was worried about, well, where is he? And so when she was tuning into that idea, that's when the information came in. So, and it's a little more complicated than that, but I, I, um, that's the short version. And she's often had very strong intuitive hits. She knew when my grandma was going to die, you know, she Got up one morning and told my father I had a dream your mother died, and that morning is when everything happened. So, so you um,
1: want to be on your mom's good side so that she has good <laughs> dreams about you and not and not scary ones.
3: So, That's funny. And and so yeah.
1: it, it's interesting when you talk about this, like you know, connection you had with your mother. And you said uh, large family, growing up on a farm. Did you have uh-huh. did you have that same kind of thing with any of your brothers or sisters?
3: You know, I did. In lots of ways Um, but usually it shows up you know in times of trauma or drama when you're not trying to make it happen I mean you know husbands and wives or people who live together as a couple they usually plug into each other energetically and there's actually a physical thing that you can see and for example when my first husband and I broke up I actually saw it looks like an hourglass and it sits on either side of the solar plexus so as you would face your partner it would the the nexus would be the space between you and an hourglass on either side. And so you have this connection at the solar plexus level. And what happens is your connection to your partner gives you intuitive hits all the time, especially if it's very loving and very supportive. So, um, you know, in the case, uh, of me and my first husband, we were, I am married again, and I'm very happy and I have a very good relationship with my first husband at the father of my children. But at the time when we broke up, um, I actually had a dream where he handed me half of this hourglass. And because I was relatively new in working with this energy and this energy field, I rebuilt it thinking that we were going to stay together not understanding that that was one of the signs that that it was over. Mm. Um, So when I say— Right, the
1: hourglass ran out. I mean, the the sand ran out.
3: No, the hourglass was snapped in half. Ah, okay. So each person, you know, moved on to their own piece with their own piece intact, but the the connection, the nexus was broken. You know, just like an hourglass has that narrow piece in the middle. So the hourglass is turned on its side. And the energy is moving back and forth through this narrow connection that exists.
1: So you've always felt that kind of, when you talk about connections here. You, yep. So
3: you've oh, al- yeah. oh, yeah. I always felt that.
1: And um, yeah. when did you start to develop it into like, well, because, okay, so you've written several books and you teach on, you teach on s- seminars and online and, you know, that. And all is, over the world. Really. Right. Yeah. And, you said just in Paris, mm-hmm. you know, that's a commitment. To you know, this kind of thing—living the, um, you know, the new age and psychic powers and con- human connection and spiritual energy—that whole that whole lifestyle—that's a commitment to it. Mm-hmm. Like, when did you move from? I, I, I hate to say that normal, but you know, like uh, the the people that live the life with kind of without living in this world. Uh, when did you kind of move to decide to become an author and, and make this your career? And was that scary for you at all?
3: Well, first of all, I will say that I have always felt plugged in and I have always felt that this was my mission. When my children were younger and my husband and I needed to have income to raise a family, I was in the corporate world and I worked as a CEO of nonprofits. And at a certain point i made a decision and I always make my decisions. I'll use the word at the altar. And what I mean by that is you don't have to have an altar in your house. You could have the altar of your heart where you meditate and you center yourself in your heart. And in this case, um, I had a a job that, um, my boss was aware that I was doing seminars. I had already started doing seminars, but I kept my corporate job because it paid the bills, you know? And, um, uh, one day, I was looking at my volume for the previous year, and I had I had earned twenty thousand dollars in seminars um, while I was still, you know, trying to build the business. I was spending a good portion of that, so it wasn't like I was making a lot of money, but I could see that that was sure. possible.
1: You weren't just rolling around in dollars like Scrooge McDuck or anything like that. You had to, yeah,
3: right, right. And I still had the corporate job to cover the obligations. So I, um, I, I remember having a meditation where I said to my angels and guides and the masters that i work with i am willing to do this full time if this is my mission and four weeks later i was handed a pink slip my boss gave me a severance and i never looked back
1: okay so that made the decision pretty easy i mean
3: yeah yeah because i had a leap you know i had the money to go just leap really and i'd already started working and and it's kind of cute because the year before when i took this job i explained to the the you know, the CEO of the company that I I had this other business and I I often would travel on Friday and be back on Sunday night or Monday morning. And he was totally okay with that because he really wanted to hire me. He was totally enthused about bringing me on board. And so I knew that that would be okay. And so that year I made sure I took care of every obligation and paid down every, you know, any credit card, anything I had in terms of debt. So that at the end of that cycle, when he said, you know, I, I always thought you were going to, you know, give up that business. I never realized that, that you were going to continue it. And I just smiled. And so, you know, it was a happy uh, departure, but, um, and a little bit scary, but I already had a lot of things in place before I just up and walked away, and I had started the business like four years earlier, so when I changed jobs I was very straightforward about what I was doing
1: well and that sounds perfect too like the, I, and I love that idea that it's like you know you, you started it up, you kept on developing it, and then when the moment struck that um and, and you know this happens to a lot of people who get let go or their jobs change or their their company moves and all that kind of stuff, and you just had the foresight to have that side thing that was that you were able to move to become your main thing. And I, I think that's, a, that's inspirational as well to everybody because I, I think that uh, a lot of people would like to do or, you know, have seminars or, or do things or, or touch people on a spiritual level. And right. to be able to move that and, you know, like you said, four years, it's not like you just woke up one day and like, okay, that's it. I'm going to be a full-time spirit guide kind of thing. And, and, and that's, a, that's a cool kind of thing. It's like it, it's, you move slowly into it to, to develop, you know, your own business at it.
3: Yes. And, you know, at the time it never dawned on me that that would be my employment because, you know, you earn, you earn a certain level of income when you're doing seminars and you, until you hit it really big, you know, like Tony Robbins or something. Um, And then the corporate world, which can cover your bills and feel safe or safer. So I always thought that I would have both. And it wasn't until some things happened that made me think, well, maybe I'm supposed to do this full time. And that's when I said, OK, I surrender my need to hold this corporate job for security. I'm willing to take the leap. And there's a very cool uh, guided uh, awareness, and I'll take you through it real fast, of what I did to give myself the sense of security, even though that, you know, the security was really um you know all in your own making and by the way you know everybody knows everybody's job is is um not secure unless you're self-employed and and somehow you're man- you're not relying on anybody or any else anyone else because right. there's always something that'll pull the plug on you
1: right you know i think about the safe jobs even we talk about madison wisconsin itself you know uh, everybody thought well the safest job is oscar Mayer cuz people ain't stopping eating hot dogs anytime soon
2: and, right, right, right.
1: And Oscar Myers <laughs> Oscar Mayer, as of December, is gone out of Madison. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's a, a really solid point, and not that we want to get too much you know, in economics here, but you know, the idea is that you do have to think about, you know, that uh, nothing's secure. And so, what what was the guided meditation that uh, that worked for you to help you, you know, create that sense of, uh, well, I, I guess, faith in the fact that everything's going to be all right, even though employment can be topsy turvy.
3: Well, I took my tip from a video game that my kids played all the time, at the time, and it's called Mario Brothers. And if you know Mario Brothers, he jumps off of a cliff and then land comes up and he steps on the land and he keeps walking across this little island till he gets to the other side of the cliff and then he keeps going. And I remember seeing that over and over and over and I kept meditating. What do I do? How do I create a visual that would give me the feeling, even though I don't know what's on the other side, that it'll be okay? And I thought, oh, Mario Brothers, I'll just be Mario. And I will, I will never forget when I explained this to one of my sons who played it all the time, he said, mom, that's because I was really good at it. And I just had to laugh because it didn't matter, you know? That's what I got. So imagine yourself being Mario and you're stepping off the cliff and a piece of land comes up exactly when you take that step. And it's almost as if you don't notice. And honestly, when I left my job, there was a lot of work that just popped up unexpectedly that filled the gap Um, I reported to unemployment that I had this other part-time job and they allowed me to do it. So, you know, I was really working hard to stay in integrity and, and, you know, show up and be the, the, the example of, of what I was trying to teach people to do.
1: You jump and the net will appear. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's funny you say that, you know, there was one time, um, and so I had, I had a corporate job for a, a few years. And then when I left my corporate job to concentrate on music and art and things, the day before I actually left that job, somebody totaled my car in the parking lot of the office. Okay. But my car was still perfectly drivable. (laughs) So I, so I, I just got a check for, um, you know, I couldn't obviously make any more claims on that car or whatever, but, uh, I got a check, which enabled me to spend more time working on the art and things like that. Be, you know, it, it, the jump in the net will appear, well, somebody hit my car. And then it ended yep. up giving me you know, more money to have more months to work on my own business instead of working on something else. And I think this is probably a lot of what your books are about, is that getting yourself in that right mindset when opportunities and can, sh- can show up for you as long as you are focused in that right
3: direction. As long as you're willing. See, that's the thing. You were already willing to make the change, and you were simply waiting for the right moment. And what I will say to our our listeners is, as you look at your own life, as you shift your awareness and your commitment to yourself from where you were in terms of your corporate connection, and you say, okay, i'm I'm ready and willing." and then let let the you know let everything kind of shift like gear shifting, you know, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. boom, you have that opportunity it shows up that makes it much easier, yeah. So, totally.
1: So, you know, the things we're talking about right now are pretty, um, not necessarily down to earth, but they're as far as, I mean, I think there's, we're still within the realm of, well, what a lot of people would just be like, okay, like you, you feel like a psychic connection with your friends, with your family, with the people you're close to, your, your husband or your wife or, you know, your, your significant other, your partner. Uh, you feel that kind of connection with your, your biological relatives where you, you know, the kind of you spend so much time together and you, you share so many genes that you kind of can sense things about them. And I know that you've done some work in writing and things about that, about the Akashic records and things. When did you start to kind of move from just that feeling of connection that I think a lot of people feel to more of the kind of esoteric venues of the spiritual realm?
3: Well, I had begun teaching back in 94. I began teaching a body of knowledge known as the Merkaba or Flower of Life, And I taught that for close to 20 years. And that is a meditation form that takes five minutes to do and moves you from your 3D awareness to your 5D awareness. And that changes everything. And it is through that work that I then grew the next body of knowledge, which is, you know, moving into fifth dimension and higher consciousness and higher self-connection. And, you know, what's going to happen to all of us as we move into the... Age
1: of Aquarius. No, we talk about five D, and I know that um, like waking up in five D is the name of one of your books.
3: It's coming out in in um, um, September.
1: Oh, great! Oh, well, fantastic! So it's it's your upcoming book, Waking Up in Five D, right? So we have the dimensions we know that we are familiar with the walking around dimensions of you know length, height, width. Uh, you know the, our presence here, our physical presence. So what are the fourth and fifth dimensions? What and it's interesting you say the five D because. Just interviewed a, a guy named Reverend John Polk on the show, maybe about a month ago, right around Christmas. And he also spoke in that kind of 5D, you know, the extra dimension kind of thing. So what are those extra dimensions that you're talking about?
3: Okay. So it's, um, it, from an esoteric standpoint or from a metaphysical standpoint, we consider 3D the life that most of us are living here on this planet. And it represents a polarity way of being. So there's good and bad and right and wrong, et cetera um fourth dimension is where a lot of things are being projected from into third dimension and it is a portal um the easiest way to understand what 4D is is to think of grand central station or any airport fourth dimension is not a place you go to stay overnight it's a place you go to get somewhere else so it's a it's a gateway either a holding area to get you somewhere else and so nobody needs to go to fourth as we ascend or move into a higher consciousness. So then fifth dimension, the easy way to explain what 5D is, is to say it's the classical version of what every religion teaches is heaven. So it's the perfected human who knows the the things to do that are um, God-centered, and they are enough aware that they they don't cause problems, they don't they don't do things that are hurtful, and their their activities are more on a creative side rather than um, expending energy trying to solve problems. So more like what you're currently doing would be like a fifth dimensional exercise because you're actually being creative with your music, and you're also you know doing this show um, and studying the paranormal. So humanity is moving to a place where we choose only what you and I would call good things from this vantage point. But when you're there, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, if I gave you an opportunity to host some famous secret singer that you knew and you knew of, and I knew, and I said to you, you know, look, this guy's going to be in Madison. He wants to stay at somebody's house. Can he stay with you? Your answer is going to be yes. And then you're going to ask me questions about, well, what kind of food does he like? Is there anybody coming with him? Does he have any, um, Preferences, how long is he going to stay? What are the dates? All those questions are on the side of yes. The possibility of saying no to that opportunity doesn't exist to you. And that's what 5D is like. The possibility of choosing the not God choice doesn't occur to us. And so we're always choosing lots of choices, but the not God choice isn't one of them. And so when people say, well, there's no free will in 5D, what they totally don't get is there's tons of creativity, but it's a concept that we Love God so much, and we're so uh, connected to all of life that we wouldn't dream of hurting it.
1: So when we think about five D, we think it's a it's a state where you are you're always trying to choose the path. Well, that like the, that I probably um, you know people who are hypnotized would call it the hidden observer. <laughs> you know that there's this it's, it you choose the path that uh, your conscience. Would like you if if it's goofus and gallant in the highlights magazine, you're choosing the the gallant way instead of the goofus path of destruction and desperation.
3: It, but it's more simplistic than that because the goofus way doesn't show up in your reality as a choice.
1: Okay, so because
3: it, you're so you know. Think of anything. I mean, um, you know, let's say uh, anyone you really care about, or anyone you really care about, even a pet, you wouldn't deliberately put that pet in an environment that would cause the pet pain. You just wouldn't do it. It's not thinkable. You wouldn't consider it. It doesn't even come up. So that we're all going to be in that energy that we're so plugged into life that we don't want to hurt anything. We're so happy in our connection and who we are and the creativity that we're all about that hurting doesn't occur to us. It doesn't appeal to us either. It just isn't there as a choice, but it doesn't mean we don't have lots of choice. It means that that half of the equation, the polarity equation has dropped off. And that's why a lot of people will tell you that 5D has no polarity because it's all so connected to the divine that choosing something that it wouldn't be pleasing at the level of the divine or the gallant way doesn't exist, doesn't occur to you. And that's why I like to make the metaphor, if you have a house guest, you have a choice of having that house guest, you didn't say no, you said yes.
1: Right. Even taking it to a different level, there's just certain things that, um, you know, I think especially those of us in the entertainment business, when you get presented with an opportunity or something, when you, like you said, the idea of no doesn't even enter your equation. It's like, how can we make the yes happen? And how can we make the yes happen? Awesome. You know, if...
3: Exactly. If a late, if
1: if a late night television show calls you up and says, "Can you play in the late night television show?" You will say, "It's not a matter of, well, should we really do this or not? It's (laughs) you know, it's a matter of, okay, like what dates can we all make this work? How can we get there? How we comp in the plane ticket? You know, that whole thing.
3: That's right. That's right. Um, And you know, one of the things that I learned along the way is a connection to the higher self can be learned. Can be learned by an analytical. Process And it started because I was working with so many analytical types. And here I was a CEO in the corporate world. And, you know, I'm doing spreadsheets and budgets and marketing and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet I knew intuitively lots of things could be known. And so I developed a step-by-step protocol that allows a person to go from having hunches and sometimes following them and sometimes not to being able to absolutely react in the moment as if that information is 100% accurate. And I'll give you an example. Okay. I was driving from, from uh, Minneapolis back to Madison. Uh, I'd been teaching all weekend, and it was late on Sunday night.
1: Mm-hmm. I, know, I know that drive on Sunday nights very well.
3: Right? So I, um, I'm driving at what I think is a comfortable speed, and a semi, a tractor-trailer, passes me. And my higher self, which is well-connected to me, and I, and I have good communication with it, says to me, get into the slipstream. Now, for the listeners who don't know what that is, that's the airfoil that exists behind the truck, that if I get close enough, I use less gas, and the trucker's now pulling me along with his, with his um, air that you know, he creates, that airfoil. Sure. And I knew that that wasn't nice. And so I asked again, really? This, yes, slipstream? Yes, do it now. So I did. So now I'm like right behind this semi and we're going 65, 70 miles an hour. I don't know now. And we're coming up on an interchange and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what's going to happen next because I'm taking the interchange and I don't know where the truck is going. Well, the truck was taking the interchange. So we both exit the freeway to take the interchange to the next freeway. Then the semi is suddenly driving on the berm at 65 miles an hour. And again, I asked my higher self, am I to stay with him? Yes, get over there. So I did. And another car came the other way, so fast that there was no way me, as, as the driver I know I am, mm-hmm. would have been able to avoid a collision. But because I was behind the semi and that other car couldn't see me, I was you know, in this secure place because he could see that guy, where he wasn't supposed to be going the wrong way on a ramp in the middle of the night. So when we come off the ramp, I again ask, do I need to stay with this guy? No, you're fine.
1: Huh? So that's more than just intuition or, um, you know, that's more than just like a well-developed sense of like knowing if something, I mean, that's like predictive, you know, versus that's a a
3: trained connection to the higher self. And that's one of the things I teach and you're right. It doesn't come overnight. It's something you practice for six weeks. And after you move out of your practice mode, then you move into you know, experience and very real uh, explanations. And it's built around the whole idea that you could train yourself to understand yes and no, just like you would learn a language. And you're literally learning the language of the higher self.
1: You know, when I think about you know, listening to my own brain, sometimes you, know, like you're, you're con- you really do your conscience kicks in. You're like, okay, this is what I should be doing because this feels what's right. And then other times your brain seems to run on impulses when you see, you know, so when I think about trusting myself, if I trusted myself to do whatever my impulses shot out of me, you know, I'd be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. So, right. right, So how do you, how can you tell the difference between you think that connection with the higher self and then, you know, just your lizard brain telling you to do pleasurable things when you can.
3: It's a product of actual practice. I've, developed a way to build a connection and you spend six weeks practicing that connection so that when you get an intuitive hit, you can actually ask, is this my higher self telling me yada, yada, yada. And then you have that ability to cross check it with this signal of yes or no. And then you know, and then you'll, you'll notice that when I told the story, I twice asked, Higher yourself. Are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Yes, do it now. So there was a sense of urgency in both times, you know, especially when he, when the semi is driving on the berm. Mm-hmm. And, and secondly, it is a commitment. So I get lots of intuitive hits. And if I think that they're suspicious or suspect, I can ask, higher self. Is this my higher self telling me blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it isn't your higher self. It's your ego or your personality or your desire body. And all of those things are certainly valid. But what happens is as just like you could learn how to play tennis or you could learn how to golf, you can learn how to have a connection that is so accurate that you can rely on it. And then you make the commitment, okay, I'm going to rely on 100%. And what that does is it it ups your game, you know, just like anything else. You know, you put your time and energy into it, you're going to improve your process.
1: Well, I think that's interesting, too, when you talk about the the commitment to listening to that voice and following the instructions, because I think that goes back to when you were talking about how in the 5D world, that it's almost like the negative, uh, the negative option just doesn't exist for you. Right, right. And I do think, you know, when you train your brain, like, it's just like trying not to read negative thoughts or you know these days look at Facebook what you're trying to do is uh your brain will always take the um you know the shortest route between synapses and and the routes get well oiled over time which is what leads people to, into addiction what leads you know that that hit of dopamine or whatever that you get when you get an email or something like it leads people into repetitive behaviors because it's easier for the brain to do that and i like that what what you're saying is that when you commit to trusting yourself and trusting your higher self is that you are trying to make the repetitive behavior be a positive one instead of a, uh, you know, a negative one, or just purely relying on self gratification.
3: Right, right. You know, and one of the things you asked me about was the Akashic records. So I began working with the Akashic records while I was teaching this other material, and um, that grew the connection and the awareness and the abilities, and um, I developed a way to get into the Akashic Records that also makes use of the higher self.
1: Well, for the people that don't know what the Akashic Records is, can give you give me a little background on exactly what the Akashic Records is if people haven't heard of it before?
3: Sure. The Akashic Records is a energetic field that represents the library of all that is. Edgar Cayce, the famous American prophet, called it the Book of Life. And a lot of people see it as a library or a book that has pages that turn as a metaphor. And in fact, it's an energetic field that literally records everything that occurs and also your potential choices as well as the ones you actually make. And so it is this library that's living. So think of the movie Back to the Future where Michael J. Fox is looking at the picture of his his family mm-hmm. while he's in the car with his mom, and she's trying to make out with him, and his face is disappearing off the family photo. Right. So it's alive. It moves based upon your choices and your actions. So when you access the Akashic Records, you're actually accessing it through what I will call research librarians. You're not actually going into that field, because if you did, you would change it just by your thoughts. You know, if you're standing there watching or discovering that the person you're married to is the person who murdered you in a previous life. And, you know, the problem with your experiences is, is to work that out. You know, you're not going to be happy about that and you're going to energetically impact it. So you go to the fringe of that and you work with what is called reference librarians when you access the records.
1: So the reference librarians is like a, a spirit guide that would go into the Akashic Records and they would find it. You know, it's got, uh, I'm, like my mother still, yeah. still calls the library the, the ready reference number because she hasn't quite figured out the iPad yet, but she, my mother will still call the librarian just like, to find facts during the day if it's something she's interested in. She's like, well, you just call Ready Reference and they will answer your questions for you. So there are uh, entities that help us humans get into the Akashic Records to kind of find that knowledge. Like when you talk about the reference librarians, like how do you get access to those reference librarians to help you
3: out? Again, it's a protocol that you follow and then you do, you do practice and you get to a place where the practice becomes a perfection. Um, and you know, when, when a person first learns this work, one of the things that you almost always think is that you're making it up, but there's nothing like having a a session with a client and seeing a visual. And I'll give you an example. I had a client once where I could see her putting on a life vest as she's getting on a boat so, in my opening remarks to her, I said to her, "You know, you don't have to worry um because the message was very clear. You don't have to worry or struggle with your life vest. um, you will be fine in your boat." And she absolutely freaked and said, "How did you know I had a boat?" And I'm thinking, "Well, actually, I didn't, but that's what I saw. You know, so what happens is you you learn to have a tool that allows you to see things that you you couldn't possibly." Make up. Um, and that comes with a practice. Again, it's like learning to play basketball. If you're standing at the foul line shooting hoops, you are going to improve your game. You're going to improve your percentage or, you know or or if you go to the driving range and you're shooting balls. It's the ability that it that is available to everybody, and this is like a dispensation. This wasn't available to people thirty or forty years ago. And so it's a tool that's being made available in the new era. And one of the ways that makes the way I teach it unique and special is that I train people to access their higher self. And then if they choose, they can learn to access the Akashic Records. And then I give them lots and lots of tools that reinforce it and give it uh, a message. But I really want to point to something really, you know, because you you said that your, your story is a lot about paranormal. And I want to tell a very amazing story that even I was shocked about. Okay. Um, I kept having a vision of my husband, my current husband, uh, who was working on a ship, discovering why the fire occurred. He's a science, fire science expert, and he was hired to discover why this freighter had this fire. And he was flying out to Romania, where the ship was docked.
1: Ooh, that sounds exotic, Romania too, like the like Transylvania and stuff. That (laughs) That already sounds great.
3: And so um, I started having visions of him. being struck by behind by a large steel beam, and then it was fatal. And when you get a a vision like that, you don't just assume that you're supposed to tell somebody. And this is something that I've always told my students, that if you get information or you think you're getting information, you always have to find out, is it appropriate for me to be saying something to someone? Because you you just don't blurt that stuff out. I, I feel very strongly that people's free will has to be honored. So when I had this vision and it kept coming, I kept trying to get my arms around the idea, well, is it appropriate for me to tell him? And I finally got clearance and felt good about telling him. So I said to him one night, laying in bed, you know, honey, have you asked, have you checked in with your guidance about whether or not you should go back to the ship? And without skipping a beat, he said, well, if you told me not to go back, I wouldn't go. Now, that answer caught me by surprise because I was just expecting him to answer my question, not give me this very proactive response. Right. And I, so then I tell him my vision that I'm seeing. And, and he said, well, wh- tell you what, tomorrow morning, let's open up the Akashic Records and I'd like to ask a few questions. And I said, okay, fine. You know, so I went to sleep feeling much better. I had an idea when it was going to happen. It was several months into the future. So I, I didn't feel like there was any urgency. Now, in my mind, as a mystic, I'm thinking if somebody said this stuff to me, I'm thinking, is it my time to go? Can we change the reality? Is there a choice here? Um, yeah, I mean, you know.
1: I get freaked out if people like just do like a tarot card reading and like with just as a joke, they'll be like, Oh, check it out. Well, you know, like we did a tarot card reading for, um, next year and I did it with my sister over Christmas. It was fun and stuff like that. But she's like, Oh, December, you're going to be tested and you're gonna be betrayed in September. And now I can't get that my mi- off my mind for the next six months. I'm going to be betrayed by somebody in September and I can't wait to get there to figure out who it is. So I feel, I feel I feel you there when somebody says something like, "Oh my God, is it my time to go?" They had a vision. Oh crap! So yeah, what? So right. what did your husband do? And,
3: <clears throat> so when we opened up the Akashic records, the first question he asked me was, "What caused the fire?" Now again, I'm expecting you know like, can I change this? Blah blah blah. And he's like on a whole different whole different tack. And without skipping a beat, the record keeper said through me. There were actually two fires. One was a diversion, and the and they were caused to cover up a murder. And then it unfolded that there was a mafia type situation, and that the man who was being murdered had tried to betray the mafia and pull a fast one, and he thought he got away and was, you know, in the merchant Marine, you know they 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 work on these ships and right. cross, you know. I was totally blown away. I was so much surprised that I actually pulled myself out of this state of connection in the Akashic records. And I said to my husband, because I now I'm embarrassed that I've come up with this wild thing that I didn't even know I was going to say. And I said, Oh, that's really strange because nobody died in that fire. And he looked at me and he said, actually three people died. Yeah. And what's really amazing is the reason he was asking is because as a fire scientist, he'd already been working on this place. I don't know maybe 3 months, 4 months and he could not de- he could not find the source of the fire. I mean he, he could find the physical source of the fire, but he couldn't find a chemical or electrical interaction that would cause a fire to start unless it was started by an outside action.
1: So that kind of that vision kind of led to be able to a better understanding of it so they could figure how it started.
3: Right. So after another 4 months of investigation my husband Said to the attorneys who had hired him to defend the company who owned a container that was on the ship that was being accused of the fire. My wife was a psychic, and I don't call myself a psychic, but that was an easy way to say it to the attorney. Sure. And he tells the story, and he tells me the next morning that he's told the attorney this, and I, I'm aghast. I, I said, "Oh my gosh! You know, how do you, how do you, you know, you're a PhD scientist. Where do you, where, how does this work that you would actually tell what a psychic says?" And he said, "Well, when you do research, if you can't find a cause scientifically, using a psychic is considered perfectly normal, perfectly on target, and it's accepted." I had no idea that that was so.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just the fact that they would be like cool with it, like, "Well, you know what? That seems like a you know that seems like a good reason to any."
3: Yeah, I did blog about this. So, if you want to know the whole story or know the, you know the detail of how it went all went down, you can look at that story on Akashic Records blog. Okay. It is a blog post and it's there and there's a whole bunch of other cool stories in there from some of the other people who are part of my network.
1: And we'll put, uh, we'll put that, those links in the show notes. Okay, cool. So people will be able to link to that story in particular and kind of get a little more detail uh, about the, the vision that resulted in the uh, arson discovery.
3: Yeah, and then you mentioned negative thoughts and I really want to touch on this cuz this is something that I talk a lot about in the Be a Genie book. And that book is a manifestation book based on sacred geometry, but it's also a book uh how to on how to manifest in a very unique way. And one of the things I tell people is, you know, don't try to stop thinking negative thoughts. That's just goofy. Like you said, you know, you're already thinking it before you can recognize it to stop it. Right. Instead, force yourself to think two or three positives that are directly related to the negative, to antidote it. So pretty soon you've populated your brain with so many positives about the negative that the negative is like antidoted or canceled out. You know, like noise canceling headphones. Mm-hmm. So let's say you say to yourself, "I hate my job" or "I hate my boss," um, but they I've, pay. I've said that before. Right. They pay me really well here. The vacation schedule's awesome and i have great perks so you've you've antidoted that so every time you say i hate my boss but blah 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 these other positives then the the lasting thought because the first positive antidotes or negates the hate my boss business and then the next two are like seeds that that's what rests in your brain and that's what you attract because you do attract what you think about the most so it's a simple training exercise a mental decision to consciously be proactive and. When you notice you're having a negative thought, don't dismiss it. Don't tell yourself you're bad or wrong. Everybody does have these thoughts. But instead, be proactive and say, okay, I'm going to take three or two positive thoughts, immediately following." and you train yourself to do that.
1: Well, I think that's a great piece of advice right there. And when you say, like, when you tell people not to think of, you know, that you can never stop thinking negative. That's going to be something that, um, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up. Exactly. thought Because I think that's what it t- turned people off a lot. When it came to the secret. So obviously the secret, you're familiar with that.
0: Oh,
3: absolutely.
1: Right, because that was such a big thing, you know, when, you know, 11 or 12 years ago. And, you know, I think that what turned people off a lot was, you know, a lot of people would come outside and they kind of didn't realize a lot of skeptical. And I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about a lot of things, but I do know that the more you orient yourself in the direction of the way you want your life to be is wherever, you know, is usually what happens if you orient yourself in a specific direction. And I think with the secret, it tended to get too like blame yourself for the when bad stuff happens. And I think that's what turned a lot of people off about it.
3: Well, I will tell you that a lot of my students told me after they worked with the Be a Genie material or they took the course, you know, when I was teaching classes on it, and I occasionally teach classes on it, they would come away saying, "I finally understand the secret." Because I give them the practical tools and I explain uh, the mathematical reason why this formula works, and it's just a piece of a of a bigger puzzle. And it's a lovely book. Um, Be a genie, create love, success, and happiness because it it takes you through stories and experiences and uses belief certainly, but it's more than that. Because when you know when you know a mathematical formula that proves without a shadow of a doubt, you know one and one or two, and you can't refute that. And then you use that same concept. You know, to um, create the reality in front of you, suddenly you you realize that even if it feels like it's a pipe dream, it's not really at all.
1: Well, when you say sacred geometry, you know, and I'm a little bit familiar with sacred geometry, but can can I get a little more just a definition of of what is sacred geometry?
3: Sacred geometry is using the understanding of the platonic solids and the sacred ratios like the uh, like the Fibonacci ratio and others to help you understand the reality around you is mathematically driven. And once you begin to comprehend that, then you can use those mathematics to create the reality you want.
1: So is that like where you, if you performed a ritual or something like that, you would create certain shapes and by concentrating on those shapes or whatever, you're more likely to... Get the vibrations going in your right direction, or what? I mean, what's a, what's an example of using them?
3: Well, s- well, certainly that's true. The the Merkaba meditation that I taught for twenty years used sacred shapes that you visualize around the body to create a vibrational space that will uh, enhance your abilities and e- expand your ability to know and understand the world around you, and also create a space that's so energetically pure that you're impenetrable. You're like Neo in, in the matrix. Nobody can touch you. So that's one, one use of the sacred geometry. And the use of sacred geometry in Be a Genie, the book I wrote, is using the understanding of the sacred geometry and then the relationships between the shapes that allows you to know unequivocally that you can create with a in a way that allows you to... Picture an outcome, and then you use various steps to anch- anchor that in. And I could do a whole show with you just sure. on that concept, and I'd love to do that, especially if you have an interest in sacred geometry, because I would explain it further. And you know, if you know the Fibonacci sequence, then you you know this number sequence. It's one, one, two, three, five, eight, twenty-one, thirty-four. Right. And then there's that sequence is actually a subset of another sequence that I named the Phoenix sequence, and I'll I'll give you a mathematical. Uh, formula, you can play with it all you want and prove me right. Then you'll say, Oh, we got to do a show on this. And that's any two numbers that become adjacent pairs, just like the Fibonacci sequence, mm-hmm. and added in a logarithmic spile, just like the Fibonacci sequence, on the ninth and tenth iteration, that pair will produce phi. Okay. And that's something that I figured out because I was in this field all the time and I was meditating in this field so much that I literally got this big aha. And, and um, I've even had people steal it from me, which is wacky crazy, you know, right. I'm out there.
1: <laughs> and especially finding those natural numeric and mathematical equations and, and formulas that always ended up leading to the same thing. I mean, that, that almost feels like it has, there's some it feels like the universe has purpose when you see things like that. When you see all the exactly. numbers add up to the same thing, you're like, well.
3: Exactly. And, and the other thing is it teaches you that this is not a random universe and that, hey, we could have a lot more control if we learned what the controllers were. You know, you can't control a machine if you don't know. I mean, if you've ever gotten in a, in, you know, like in a, in a vehicle that, that's using levers instead of, a, uh, instead of a wheel to turn it or buttons to run it like an airplane, you don't know what to do with it. But if you know how the levers work and you understand that you do have control, if you learn that,
1: yeah, it's piece cake. Well, you know, looking at your different, um, you know, the different book titles and, and the things that you're working, on, we talk about being a genie, beyond the flower of life, reweaving the fabric of your reality, and even this, uh, the last book you released in June as part of a, a compilation, the realities of creation, moving beyond the limitations of our beliefs. With a, and I love this. Uh, there is a quote from D. Wallace on it i'm looking at the amazon right now. i was gonna quote from d wallace d wallace who uh was great I, I just i think of her in the howling i think of her as the mother uh, the, the the mother in the frighteners and so many great like horror movies <laughs> and like how did she, do you know how they, they got a quote from her on the, the book
3: one of the women in our group knows her and asked her to review it
1: Fantastic, yeah, just yeah, just I, you know, she's just a a a great actress. There's been a lot of my favorite genre films, Uh, even I think like the Halloween three and stuff. And so, uh, her and her former husband Christopher Wallace Stone. Anyway, so that's a lot of fun. So, but I see that when you're talking about manifestation, creation, you talked about the levers of creation, uh, just there. And I, I think as we as we wrapping up the interview, um, you know, they call you Mrs. Magic, and I'd be interested when we're thinking about. How, uh, you know, what are the, some of the ways, uh, just a couple of quick ways that people, um, after they're done listening to the podcast, they can have a little magic in their own, like a little more magic in their own life, a little more manifestation in their own life. Just, you know, if you think of, uh, you know, little tips that you do or have taught or something like that in the past, um, quick pick-me-ups that you think can, that can help somebody out.
3: Well, the first one is we've already talked about, and that is, you know, when you notice you're thinking a negative thought, then Just make a position that you're going to do two or three more positives to antidote it. And just make yourself get in that habit. And that'll change a lot of things. And then my most uh, powerful change maker, which is super easy and super quick, is a simple prayer request that you say, I am asking for a day of heaven on earth for me and everyone I come in contact with. And that puts people in a vibrational state that allows them to choose the highest choice they are capable of making. So even if somebody's crabby to everyone around you, they're gonna be sweet and kind to you because you created the blessing for them. And all you have to do is watch how it changes everything and say it every day for four or five days and then skip a day or two because you forgot. And you're gonna go, whoa, what happened? And then you remember, oh yeah, that makes a humongous difference. Um, um another t- a tool. I would say is be willing to ask your angels and guides to help you. Just say, you know, I don't know about angels. I don't know about guides, but if you're out there, I'd like some help and accept that possibility and then see how your day is different. And you're going to be amazed that things are dramatically different. Um, And then another fun thing is to imagine that you're already plugged into the version of the reality. Like this is like using the Akashic records idea. Okay a version of the reality that says you made it and you're already very successful and happy and you just you know pu- like you're reaching into a library and you're pulling out the book that says i'm you know my 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 uh, podcast is you know in the millions my books are in the millions whatever it is you want to do and see yourself making a difference because everybody who is attracted to being part of the change came here to be part of the change you're not just attracted to it <coughs> by um By chance, your divine plan that's plugged into you causes you to be interested in that. And so as people become more aware of the world around them and they decide that they could possibly make a difference because they can see differences that are possible, that means that that's their mission. And all they have to do is say, I'm ready to do my mission. Show me what it is. You know, even something as simple as that.
1: And I think those are great ideas because... You really do, when you align yourself correctly into being open to being the kind of change that you want to you know, see in the world, or even just the kind of change and, and power that you want to feel in your own life, you, know, you have to be open to the possibility that you can actually do it. You, know, if you If you don't believe you can nail a free throw, and so you don't even, uh, you don't even shoot the ball, I guess, then you will never nail the free throw. Like, the, right. like we have to let ourselves open to the possibility, even if it seems hard sometimes to believe it. It's just, I think that's a great piece of advice there. Just, just be open to the fact that it could happen and start there.
3: And I'm going to have to jump off because I have another event starting, but I would like to close with a couple of uh, pieces of information about what's coming up for me. Please and Please do. Okay, so I will be in Los Angeles at the Conscious Life Expo, and I'm participating in a panel on the Ascension Ascension panel, and I'm also um, uh, offering a higher self-connection class that's going on right now. If you're interested in that, you can jump into it. Two classes will have occurred by the time you hear this podcast, and then the second half of it will be um, the week following the announcement of your podcast.
1: We'll have the links to uh, the the upcoming seminar you're doing in LA and we'll have the links to your online class and stuff like that. Othersidepodcast.com slash one zero. We'll have links to all of Maureen's stuff. So that if you guys are interested in checking out some of her books, maybe checking out some of her live events and obviously the blog where you can see a little, little piece of advice and, and ideas that she has um, you go there and you have links to everything and uh, you'll be able to check it out and sign up if you like.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blast.
1: Thank you, Maureen. We're going to have to get together to talk some more time about sacred geometry and more about the genie stuff and and maybe more just about manifestation sometime because I think that's a powerful tool that not enough people use.
3: I agree. Um, I always have free stuff on my website. So, you know, follow the website and pick up the free stuff. There's a great meditation out there right now that's totally free and more coming.
1: Absolutely. And so you'll find all those links and you can check it out there. Thanks a lot, Maureen. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, Mrs. Magic. I thought Maureen was a lot of fun. Yep, I need to read that book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very intrigued, so I'm going to have to check that out and uh, see what kind of a genie I can become.
1: Well, I was exciting because I didn't realize that D. Wallace... From the howling yeah. and all is now a like a spiritual healer. My mind is blown a little bit. That that's cool. Did. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I think that's a lot of fun. You know who else? You know, Brett Butler from that Grace Under Fire TV show.
2: OK. She's a psychic now. like yeah, you can have
1: Brett Butler. She can read your mind.
2: Or, I, mean, I mean, she can read your future. Is it going to be like Dionne Warwick with the psychic friends? Well,
1: but Dionne Warwick didn't say <laughs> she was a psychic. She just said these are my these are oh, my psychic okay. these are my friends. Okay, that's what psychic gotcha. friends are for. And sure, uh, um, <laughs> but Brett Butler is a freaking psychic. So I'm just saying that sounds career change. Yeah, career change. But I, she also is a pretty funny stand up comic. Hmm cool so maybe she tells you jokes while she reads your future that would be so fun I think that would be fun we'll have to see if we can get a reading of Brett Butler <laughs> on the air sometime anyway so uh thank you to Marine St. Germain for joining us for this episode I had a lot of fun talking to her and you know one of the things that we talked about in the interview a bunch was the idea of the jump and the net will appear kind of thing Wendy you've heard that before right
2: I love that too. Yeah. Yes.
1: Because <laughs> Maureen was talking about how, in her, like, you know, she was working in a nonprofit, actually, when she was living in Madison, Wisconsin, our town. Uh, anyway, so.
2: But I love the Mario Brothers meditation. <laughs> I'm totally going to use that because <laughs> right. that's a scene that I'm so familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so jump in the net. be. the idea
1: is that when you're trying to make a big uh, like quantum leap in your life, go ahead and do it because the rest of the world will come to support you. You know, like once you make that change for the better, you should probably notice that when you're on the right path, all of a sudden things kind of align. The stars align for you in a way they didn't before. And I don't know if it's just putting your head in the right space. I don't know if it's the universe taking care of you. I don't know any of that kind of mumbo jumbo. But I do know that when you do center yourself in that way towards something that you care about, towards something that really, when it feels right, it just kind of works. And I do believe in that. And so this week's song is kind of based on the idea of that. All right. So, Wendy, what do you feel about monkeys? Oh, they're cute. Yeah, they're cute. (laughs) But also fun. Right. So how smart do you think monkeys are? Very smart. I think they're pretty smart, too. Well, one one of the things they do with monkeys is that they're trying to test for sentience. Okay. So what does that kind of mean? Sentience is the idea that a monkey knows that he's a monkey and he's alive. Like he has an idea, he has idea of himself as a, a living creature, you know, a sense of self sentience. And so how they would test sentience on monkeys is they would put a red marker, like a red dot on their nose and they would place them in front of a mirror. Okay. And if they could see in the mirror and they could, they would touch their own nose to see if the red dot was there. So they see that they recognize themselves in the mirror, the sense of self. That sense of sentience, and they call it the mirror test. Ah, okay. So, the idea of this song is in order to recognize yourself, in order to feel that fulfillment, you kind of, the character in this song needs to feel like he's doing all the things he ever dreamed about doing. And kind of the joke is that a lot of them are hyper masculine things and something like that. But in reality, he's just scared that he's going to fail the mirror test, you know, that he'll live somebody else's life and not recognize himself.
2: Uh-huh. So
1: that's kind of behind. And so I really thought about that. Uh, you know, the, the jump in the net will appear and aligning yourself in that direction. And this song is about that, about trying to put yourself in the right direction no matter what, so that you recognize who you are. It's called the mirror test. <laughs>
0: jump from Make love like I'm bad company Then go out drinking like I'm Charles Bukowski Karate kick like mothers and bruise me Then funky jump right off the hoover I'm gonna take on listening to today's episode you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you on the other side
1: don't forget what happens on tuesday february 7th 2017
2: oh man i can't wait 7 p party on a tuesday
1: 7 p.m central we are gonna hang out with our Patreons,
2: yay! That's
1: right. The people, our favorite people, (laughs) right? So they are—they really are our favorite people because they're keeping us doing what we love to do, and that is making fun podcasts and songs and cool stories for everybody every single week. And so, uh, yeah, we're just gonna hang out, talk about paranormal stuff, talk about everybody's life. Um, Maybe we'll talk about some
2: of the lessons from Mrs. Magic in this uh, in this hangout. I'm looking forward to it. And if anybody else wants to join. You're welcome to join our Patreon community, and you can do that by going, uh, shoot, what is it, Mike? Oh where my, did they go? Oh, my
1: God, hold on. It's uh, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate is where you can join the Patreon community and be part of the most interesting people on the whole of the internet. <laughs> Speaking of interesting people, let's not forget our man, Ned. Ned, thank you very much for your support every
0: month. Thanks, Ned. Oh um. <sighs> Ah